snowy day in Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, before we tell you about our program today and introduce our guest, I want to make a quick shout-out to some of our local business partners. Uh, thanks to Gateway Market and Cafe. Gateway is my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got a catering service. And a great opportunity this time of the year is Gateway Gift Cards. There you go. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been uh, treating creatures great and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Vet. And thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street between uh, Locust and Walnut in downtown Des Moines. That's uh, Ritual Cafe, fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. And thanks to Noche. Noche is Central Iowa's premier home for jazz and cabaret, attracting both national and local acts. They've also got a world-class cocktail bar that's uh, Noche on Walnut Street, <clears throat> just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. And finally, thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street, authentic Mexican food at very affordable prices with friendly, helpful service. That's Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. All right, so welcome to the program. Later in the show, uh, we'll be talking about those pesky little scooters that are taking over the world. We'll also give you a climate update. Let's call it a climate alert. Talking about how the oceans are rising. Sorry, not only are the oceans rising, but we are losing, they are losing oxygen at an alarming rate. And meanwhile, President Trump is all concerned about a different water problem, <laughs> namely toilets. We definitely have to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. And we'll also talk about how the Trump administration is proposing a new rule um, that might get you in trouble if you're on the way to the hospital in an ambulance and somehow the uh, EMT worker doesn't like your religion, your, your religious perspective, who knows what. We'll talk more about that. But first, uh, with me in the studio, Dr. Charles Goldman, as we take a look at abortion law and the, the uh, efforts to reverse Roe v. Wade, which uh, apparently isn't just, isn't just the first, um, uh, it used to be seen as the goal of the anti-choice movement was to get rid of Roe v. Roe v. Wade, and now it's increasingly looking like that's just a step along the road toward an even more oppressive set of anti-liberty uh, anti laws. Well, yeah, it's actually very interesting um, in that uh, of all the places, probably Ohio has become the laboratory for a uh, generation of various iterations of bills to try to uh, limit abortion. And, and the extremists of the extremists, those who uh, you know, think that the right to life group right, is, is too, too liberal for them, um, have given up any pretense of trying to uh, go to the Supreme Court with, you know, bills like the ones we're seeing, uh, limiting clinics' viability by forcing the physicians to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals, having them be meeting the standards of outpatient surgery, et cetera, et cetera. They've now gone to things that even the right to life are you know, the, the mainstream right-to-life groups are saying are too extreme for them, which is an interesting strategy, actually. And we'll talk about specifically, you know, some of the information that came out a couple week, uh, last week. Um, it's, it, it's a good strategy because it makes seem like the uh, bills like the heartbeat bills are mainstream. Right. Well, the heartbeat bills, which we've seen here in Iowa, which, of course, was stayed by a, a court. The Supreme Court. Right. Iowa Supreme Court. Right. Correct. Um, the heartbeat bill basically has, uh, you know, defines that life begins at six weeks when you can de detect a heartbeat. Which is often sound. before a woman even knows she's pregnant. That's correct. Yeah. And, and the other problem, of course, is it's not really a heartbeat. Uh, the Purkinje cells, which are the ones that eventually grow into the electrical system of the heart, are formed very early on. They have electrical impulses that the ultrasound reads. But not to be mistaken. But there's no heartbeat. beating heart. There's right. no heart with valves and ventricles or anything like that at that point. So it's, it's as oftentimes we're dealing with, uh, we're dealing with biblical science. It's the same science that has the earth as 5,000 years old. Um, there is no heartbeat at six weeks. But once again, the um, anti-choice groups, and I, I will not call them pro-life groups, the anti-choice groups have been able to co-opt the vocabulary to gain support. For instance, you know, late second and, and, and early third trimester abortions are partial birth abortions. It doesn't matter that many of those abortions are actually of uh, non-viable fetuses. 
but they've adopted that, and people listen to that said, well, that sounds terrible, partial birth abortions. Um, but anyway, so what happened this week, just to show you kind of how extreme the issue has become, um, is that in Ohio, um, a bill was proposed that it's a 400-page bill, but among the many things that are in there is that when an ectopic pregnancy is removed, and an ectopic pregnancy is when the um, embryo sets up shop in the tube, well, you can't implant in the fallopian tube and have a pregnancy that is going to go to fruition in the fallopian tube. And the danger to women is they come with massive bleeding as it tries to implant in this little narrow tube. So we, you know, surgeons go in, you take out that uh, that, that embryo and you discard it. Um, and this is usually, you know, within the first month of life uh, of not viability, but that the existence of, of the yeah. of the embryo, right. um, and the bill in Ohio, which and actually they they tried to do this twice. And, and, and just to be clear about the political right. setup in Ohio, the the Republicans control both the House and Senate. Right, and 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 this is an interesting point because even in the states that we consider like extremist about abortion, most of that is by gerrymandering. That they have the ability to do this. Because, that's the case of Ohio, too. Right. In Ohio, it's basically a state that's about 50-50 right. when you look at statewide elections. As is Iowa. Right. But the uh, Republicans have an almost supermajority in the Senate there and a 63 to like 37 advantage over the Democrats. Because of the way they've gerrymandered the big cities there, they're basically Democratic strongholds. And, we, can, we, and yeah. we can't blame gerrymandering in Iowa. Correct. That's not a problem right. here, but it is a major problem elsewhere. Absolutely. In, so, for instance, in Georgia, which is another state where they're looking at a lot of extreme restrictions, um, Georgia, when you poll the the population in Georgia, they're actually over 55% for continuation of Roe v. Wade with you know, the usual limitations, uh, so parental now, consent, etc. Speaking et of Georgia, back in, uh, back in October, the uh, district court there uh, put, on a, put a preliminary injunction on the uh, legislation that was passed, uh, they, again, the, mm-hmm. the, the legislature's a version of a, of a heartbeat bill there. Right. Uh, and so, and then, and then something similar happened in uh, Alabama as well. So even in states that are typically regarded as much more conservative than Ohio, you have abortion bills that are being struck down or at least put on hold by the courts. Correct. But so do we have any reason to expect that this is actually going to move forward in Ohio? Oh, you mean, well, we didn't get to the best part. The well, best the, part of that bill the part, was right? that the, the embryo that's removed from the tube, right. should they should try to re-implant in the uterus. Okay. How, how do you define try? Uh, what, is, what, is, what constitutes In other words, you should, you should after, you've, after you're done stopping the bleeding no. and sewing the tube up, you should then turn around, dilate the cervix, and shove this embryo into the uterus, which, of course, so as, may as, then as lead a, to... As a physician, is that even possible? No. So, I mean, it's possible to do it physically, but there's absolutely no evidence it would ever implant again, and you run the risk now of actually setting up a situation where you could, in fact, induce a malignancy, potentially, or you could so, set up a situation where you have to go back in and do a DNC So you might endanger the life of another. Correct. Right. Yeah, and, and none of these bills, that they're getting rid of any kind of condition on abortion that would imply that it's okay in, the, in rape, incest, or um, for the life of the mother. And they want to, a violation of this bill's uh, tenants would, in some cases, be considered aggravated abortion murder. Wow. Have we seen any with, polling? With a death penalty, of course. The favor yeah, of all, fun- yeah, of all fundamentals okay. love the death penalty. Right. Yeah. Pro life. Yeah. 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 So have we seen any uh, polling in Ohio that suggests where the public stands on this? Um, it, the public, it, not specifically on this bill, the the legislatures are non-representative of what the public thinks in many because of, of gerrymandering. Because of right, gerrymandering, right. that's right. They they have taken you know they they fix the system, and then turn around and say, well, the people voted for us to do this. Uh, <laughs> not exactly. Yeah. No, most of the polling is is that people are very uncomfortable actually with the idea of. Uh, prohibiting abortion to the point in some states, women who want to go to other states to have it done may potentially be charged with murder back in their home back state. in their home yeah. state, at least yeah. by some of these bills. Um, and so, you know, the bigger so, issue now is that women are using the internet, obviously, to figure out ways to do abortions themselves. 
So which is uh, no, I'm never, not talking about the coat hanger abortion. Right, but it's still, it's never 50s. a good idea. No, no, but there are there are there are pharmaceutical ways of doing this. If and you like anything else, you can buy these drugs on the internet. Um, and wouldn't some of these legislators like to criminalize that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, we're in a situation where uh, some of these new laws would criminalize both the mother and the physician involved. So, yeah, I mean, it is, they, they do want to go way beyond just repealing Roe v. Wade. But to that point, with a Supreme Court that's now very tilted toward a very conservative viewpoint, is repeal of Roe v. Wade a possibility, maybe even a probability? It depends on what John Roberts wants to be remembered for at this point. There, there, I, I think most people feel like that Roberts' preference would be to simply get rid of abortion by small cuts. So, the, the, you know, the, the way to look at this case that was argued in front of them uh, at the beginning of the session, the one which was a copy of the law that they a year ago said was invalid uh, in Texas because of uh, placing undue prohibition, undue burden to, to get an abortion. Um, the Louisiana law they're looking at is just a copy of that same one. So why are they looking at it again? They're looking at it again. To try they, to rule differently. To rule differently. Yeah. That's correct. And to rule basically to repeal Roe v. Wade. Uh, without having to repeal Roe v. Wade. Sure. Okay. They'll, they'll right. argue that there's still a fundamental right, right to abortion in this country, but it'll, it'll, be, it'll be just, you know, and, and, me, and meanwhile, all these other legislative efforts, again, we looked at Alabama, Georgia, which again now are, both, they're both, uh, I believe, in, the, uh, in limbo right now is the court. And we should point out that in Alabama, the polling among the people there is, respect, is reflective of the kind of restrictive laws they want. Right, but not in Georgia. <laughs> but not in Georgia. And not in Ohio. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, but but I mean, what, what's what is 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 really is the goal here really just politics? I mean, abortion has always been the issue that uh, that some Republicans have been able to fire up their base on, and you know, with momentum on their side, is this just an, another strategy for firing up the base? Um, is it a way? To, is it a way to get Republican, you know, Christian conservatives who might be? Theoretically uncomfortable with a president as amoral as uh, as President Trump, is it a way to get them comfortable with him? Because under his administration and under under the courts that he has helped to helped to form, mm-hmm. uh, abortion rights have been eroded. Is, is is this a way to, for them to look beyond his very obvious um, amoral immoral characteristics and say, okay, he's he's okay, he's doing the right thing on abortion, which is the litmus test for a lot of Republican voters? Um, I, I think that. This was something that the Republican Party glommed onto about 10 years after Roe v. Wade because right. there was not a lot going on in terms of uh, opposition to Roe v. Wade implementation in the first decade after that case was decided. And it was something that the Republicans came upon that has worked. They've unleashed some people who are extremely fervent in their belief, I mean, you know, including having killed abortion physicians. Yeah. Um, and and but it was at base always a political move, and it continues to be a political move because of all the social issues that that they like to to really bang on. Um, abortion is is you can always come back to abortion. For instance, LGBT is not really an issue for most of the Republican base. They've moved on from it. They have it really was, moved it on was, from it. It was it was actually even more important uh, as a political tool. Than abortion was for a while, for a very short period of time. That's correct. Yeah, and but this is this seems to be this is their fallback. Yeah, um, and that requires finding new ways to be uh, anti-choice. <laughs> right, right. You know. So I mean, now let me one more question sure. before we go to a break. Uh, you, as a physician, as someone who is very outspoken uh, uh, against the anti-choice movement, do you ever fear for yourself? No. No. Okay, great response. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, there have been horrible things done to doctors. Yes. Yeah. I mean, specifically those who do perform abortions, but uh, I assume that... Uh, and that's generally where most of the ire has been directed, is those who are directly well, involved. Well, and against Planned Parenthood. Yes. And, you know, right. and others who are on the front line of mm-hmm. providing safe and... Well, there was, there was a brilliant piece on NPR about... Um, you know, the, what goes on in Kansas, for instance. And, and why these you, – you, the reason, for instance, why are these bills saying you have to have attending privileges at the hospital nearby? 
you can always send a patient who's an extremist to a hospital nearby. You don't have to be an attending at that hospital. But what it keeps them from doing is it keeps them from bringing out-of-state doctors in to man these abortion clinics. And that's what's left in Kansas. No physician who's licensed in Kansas will practice at these clinics, and they bring them in from out of state. So the law in Kansas, which is similar to mm. the one you know, down in Louisiana, down in Texas, is simply directed to keeping abortion clinics closed because they can't get doctors who have privileges. Mm. You can't get privileges at a hospital if you live out of state and you're licensed from out of state. Charles, we've got to run to a break, but uh, you can stick around, and we'll, uh, uh, we'll be talking um, about another issue of medical interest, uh, the proposed rule by the Trump administration that would uh, allow someone, an emergency vehicle uh, operator, for example, to decide not to provide you services if uh, he or she... And that's already happened. It's not even theoretical. That's already happened. But it could get worse. It could get worse. And we'll talk about that when we come back from a short break on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music, and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines.
Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks for joining us today, folks. Later in the program, we'll talk under our climate alert topic. We'll talk about the oceans and how they are becoming uh, more and more oxygen depleted. We'll talk about how President Trump is concerned about a different water issue, toilets. But first... That's because human waste is getting to them too slowly. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, anyway, speaking of the Trump administration, there is a proposal. Well, actually, it's more than a proposal. The... the, the um, the denial of care rule was uh, supposed to be implemented actually as of this point in 2019. Denial of care rule. Right. Okay. So basically the, the uh, Health and Human Services uh, is, is led by a Trump appointee who feels that one of the biggest problems in the United States right now is that people are being forced to violate their religious beliefs uh, but read only mainstream Christian beliefs. Uh, in the course of providing medical care, okay, can, can we can we empirically demonstrate that that's what's, that's what's happening? It's only Christian beliefs that are well, being I mean, quote, I, I, violated. Well, the the things that are enumerated are predominantly concerns of fundamentalist Christians, um, and uh, I, the the complaints that are brought to HHS are predominantly brought by fundamentalist Christians. They're not brought by Jews, Muslims, and others. Um, and so basically, this was a rule that they were proposing to allow anybody involved in the health care provision process, not just physicians and nurses or nurse practitioners, but also the receptionist at the office, the person who does the billing for, for the hospital or for the office, could bring an objection that they are being forced, if, usually in cases of being involved in abortion, being involved with the care of LGP, LGP PTQ plus plus <laughs> right uh, patients. Um, these were their main concerns that they should not have to because it violates their religious rights. Not give contraception if you're a pharmacist. Um, now, as soon as this came out, there were numerous lawsuits brought against this, and then actually the one that stopped it cold was a lawsuit in the federal courts in New York. And let's remember. That the Trump the Trump has had the opportunity to, uh, along with Mitch McConnell and the Federal Society, steamroll hundred over a hundred district court judges, judges into yeah. the federal yeah. judiciary. So basically, it, it was stopped cold. And one of the things that stopped the cold, besides the fact that it was a clear violation of, of equal protection, is that the uh, FDA claim or the HHS claimed there were hundreds of these complaints that they had been sitting on until this rule was changed to allow to go forward, except they couldn't produce any of them. There was, a, there was actually like five. <laughs> so, how, 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 do you, how do you claim hundreds when you can only produce five? Because they figured nobody would, I, I, I don't know, they must have figured nobody was going to really, you know, push them on really? this. Really? Something, right. something this draconian? You, yeah, it's pretty mm -hmm. unbelievable. You know, and the other thing to consider, uh, specific to Iowa as a rural state, is that, you know, a third of the beds in this country, hospital beds in this country, are managed or owned by Catholic-affiliated uh, corporations. Uh, Mercy, so, Mercy Hospital. Including, right. right. But, you know, institutionally, and I agree that there, there are certain things that you, you can't force people or institutions to do. We understand that for certain aspects of, of Christian belief, abortion is something that's just a bridge too far. And I don't think the government has the right to turn around and say to Catholic hospitals, you have to perform abortions. Um, okay. What about what about contraception? Contraception, the, the, contraception. They do provide, but, but the, they the, provide the, it what, by what, by separating themselves from the entity that is providing the contraception. What if, what if every Catholic hospital decided it was going to eliminate any capacity to encourage or provide or promote contraception? Well, they don't promote contraception, okay. and they have found methodologies to keep themselves hands off as to contraception. Okay, and that's okay. That's correct. I mean, they, no, not, they are I'm not, not being... I'm not sure I agree with you there, but... <laughs> or, no, I, mean, I, I, yeah. I disagree that, uh, you know, we, we, in, the, in the segment before, you say I'm fiercely anti-pro-life. Uh, you know, anti I'm not. I think that the issue of, of abortion is an ethically fraught issue. But it doesn't mean you get to decide for everybody else that they can't have it done. You can decide for yourself that either you 
just like in any situation in medicine. If you can't provide the service, but it's a service that's needed, then it is your responsibility to be able to get the patient somewhere else. Mm -hmm. This is what happened, for instance, with a hysterectomy that was needed by a, a transgender individual out in California, which was one of the suits. And uh, they wanted a Catholic-oriented organization to do it. That's, they said no, because they, only, they don't do it outside of a life-threatening situation. But they did find a physician and another hospital, even in their system, which was a Methodist-affiliated hospital, that would do it. Hmm. So you can't abandon the patient. That's the issue right. here, is that so, people yeah, have literally been abandoned. So this, this, uh, this denial of care rule. Would allow is, that to happen. And, and again, the example you, you shared earlier was, um, privately was, um, you are in a car accident, mm -hmm. an ambulance is called, it picks you up, somehow in that conversation with the EMT worker, it comes out that you are maybe an atheist, mm -hmm. uh, maybe you also, maybe you're also gay, and somehow being either atheist or gay is, con is con conflicts with that particular EMT worker's religious beliefs. Right. And so under this rule, they would be allowed to say, okay, sorry, I can't take you to the hospital. You'll have to get another ambulance. Right. And actually, they, they, there, they, were they, cases, they, there were cases that were brought up it, by the uh, plaintiffs in these um, federal court cases, pointing out situations like a man, a gay man, who feared he was having a heart attack, was chastised and derided by the EMS driver, and then he refused to take him to the hospital. Now, Did that, that actually happened? That actually happened. Okay. Right. Where was or, that? It, it, this is out in L.A., out in California. Wow. Okay. Okay. Then uh, there was another uh, LGBTQ patient who was being treated at an inpatient facility who had to undergo conversion therapy. While On the way? There. What? No, while they were at the hospital. This was part of their treatment. What? Yeah. I missed uh, that one. A dialysis oh, clinic employee objected to putting a LGBTQ patient on dialysis. Because we shouldn't be keeping gay people That's alive. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. So they're going to the second order. You can say, I don't want to be involved in this treatment. Hmm. But you don't have the right to say to somebody else, you're going to die. Yeah. Because well, I don't want to be involved have, in this have treatment. Have any of these um, abominations led to the death of the patient? No. But, but it's you just know, a matter of time. It's just a matter of time and, right. and, and bad luck. Because that's the other question is, that, and one of the problems with this 400-page rule was, what was going to happen to civil actions? Because if I'm that person who has a heart attack and dies on the street because you don't put me in an ambulance, you bet my family is going to sue that EMS right. for everything they have. So what is the status of this rule currently? Uh, it's, in, it's sort of in abeyance. I guess they're going to try to figure out some way of what, define, rewording it. Define a political abeyance for me. Uh, they can't do anything with it right now. They're not going to go to the Supreme Court with this one because the Supreme Court's too full of cases about people not testifying during the impeachment. Um, <laughs> no, they, they're, going to, they're going to try to rewrite it in some way to protect us from this huge problem. And they use there. HHS, the Health and Human, Health and Human Services. Services. That's correct. And what, what what role do you suppose the president himself has to play in this? He doesn't even probably know what's even going on. He doesn't care. But he listens to the show. So well, unless they talk about it on Fox News, he probably doesn't well, okay. know what's going on. No, the president doesn't care. The president has no morals. The president is completely transactional. Hmm. And he's, this is to him is just part of, of throwing meat to his base. He doesn't care about any of this. It's fairly obvious he doesn't care about any of this. Yeah. You know, And he certainly is not a detail person. They told him to appoint this gentleman. He appoints this gentleman, you know, to run HHS. Who, who, who is they? The Federalists, Sean Hannity, <laughs> Fox News. I mean, he doesn't. Is, so there, is there anything that you think the president has given a thought to other than tariffs? Um, the importance of not revealing his tax return. Well, of course, but that has nothing to do with. That's not public. That's not policy. No, he doesn't right. want to be embarrassed. Right. By what we're going to find out. No, I don't think the president cares one way or the other. See, that's why I think I have a lot of the problem when you go on MSNBC and, and CNN that they attribute these policies to him. So I would think that sometimes when they ask him about these policies, he, that's the first time he's hearing about them. So how maybe uh, – so, so if this rule goes into effect, it's uh, going to be even more severe than what we currently have. But what we currently have sounds like it's already causing a lot of trouble for people. That's correct. And so what do we do about that? Well, I, I don't know there's much you can do about it. it. You know, this is sanctioned because of cases like Masterpiece Cake, right? 
What's Masterpiece Cake? And that was the one, you know, that the baker out in Colorado oh, yeah. was right. accused of being discriminating. Because he wouldn't make a wedding cake for Right, a but this is a huge difference. And you see, this is the problem I have, which is if you want to fight every fight from the left, that's fine. So you end up forcing a case in, which is really not important. There were other people who could have baked that cake. Right, but they wanted to prove a point. Right. Well, here, great, you've proved your point. So now you know you lose in terms of somebody having to bake your cake for the, for the the wedding of two gay people, and now you're potentially going to have people losing their lives because you wanted to make a point about the about the the cake. Well, but did the folks did the folks making that point see this coming? Could you, could they have seen it getting to this point? Um, maybe, maybe not. But, I, I, again, I think that, that when we fight for extreme positions to impose on other people, this is where you end up. Yeah. Do you think that you would have this if they didn't see the militancy on the other side? You know, we can't ignore that these people exist in our country, and they don't agree with well, us. I, I have a hard time blaming, <clears throat> blaming any, uh, any, any gay couple or any, any supporter of equality for uh, pushing back against that bakery for refusing to make a cake. I, I, I understand... I understand the argument that they should be able to bake a cake for whoever they want and not to bake a cake if they don't want to do it. I get that. But mm-hmm. but I also think that if um, equality, if it's, if it's very personal and very very important, you, sh- you should have a right to push back against that. So I'm not going to fault them uh, for any impact that might have on these, these even more serious laws, which, again, are, are detestable. Correct. I concur. But, um, but we, 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 we operate... In a, we're just as bad as the other side. It's it's win uh, or lose. I'm, I'm not going to go there. Well, no. <laughs> but in terms of the way we're approaching politics right now, it's <clears throat> win or lose. Politics is supposed to be, and you've been, you know, you've been uh, a, a representative of, of the people, and thirty thousand of them. Yeah, it, not it, all of them. Yeah, it, 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 this <laughs> it's supposed to be about making something possible. All we have now is a politics of of you know complete stasis. Nothing ever gets done yeah. because everyone wants to win. And that's essentially I'm not sure that's why nothing ever gets done. I, I don't think that's fair. I, I think nothing ever gets done because Mitch McConnell, for example, wants nothing to change in legislatively. Yeah. And, and he's happy to see the president using executive order and other administrative options uh, and the courts. Uh, basically, that's where the that's where the policy is being made right now. It's not being made in, in Congress and the U.S. Senate. Right, and Mitch and McConnell is fine with that. That's, that's not, Of course, that. he's fine with that. I, I, this I, is where this is where their control is. And right I'm the now. first to blame Democrats when I think Democrats are out of line. But I, I don't I don't think it's fair this time. So you don't think we should have traded five billions of dollars for the stupid wall to have a decision on DACA two years ago? Say that again. Do you think we the Democrats should have exceeded? To trading $5 billion for that stupid wall is never going to get Oh, you're referring to the legislation that uh, I think Nancy Pelosi was uh, helping to champion. Correct. But they, they, you know, they didn't, didn't want to offer him the money for DACA. And so now DACA's in the Supreme Court. You know what's going to happen to DACA? Right. It's gone. It's going to be gone. Yeah. No, I think that was a bad call. Yeah. But this, yeah. Is, this is the nature of at some point you have to compromise. They're so worried about somebody on Twitter saying, well, you gave in on the wall. Right. But the, I don't, the I don't, wall is the best advertisement for the Democrats there is. How about those people down in Texas who can lose their land by eminent domain or already for, this, are. for the idiotic yeah. wall? Yeah. 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 You think they're going to vote for the Republicans again? Maybe not. <laughs> so. I do know this, though. We've got to go to a break. Okay. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the oxygen level in the ocean and Donald Trump's position on, on uh, low-flush toilets. Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Dr. Charles Goldman remains in the studio despite efforts to have him removed. <laughs> Want to take a quick, uh, quick minute here to shout out to some of our local business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Big holidays. They've got a catering service. They've also got these great Gateway gift cards. Check them out. Also, thanks to Hawk Restaurant, located at, in the East Village of Des Moines, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. And thanks to Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. All your insurance needs under one roof, no appointment needed. That's Diversity Insurance. Finally, thanks to Community CPA, located in Des Moines, Iowa City, and Minneapolis. Community CPA will cover all your tax and accounting needs. All right, so welcome back to the program. Again, Dr. Charles Goldman in the studio here because we cannot seem to get rid of him. 
And um, we've been talking a lot about uh, about um, health-related matters. We're going to switch gears and talk about climate change. Oh, wait, that's also a health-related matter. That's right. So the uh, oceans are in big trouble. The oxygen level is um, way down. The number of dead zones is increasing. Uh, it's becoming a, a, a major problem, not just in terms of the impact on fisheries that, that human... You know, human societies depend upon, but in terms of the uh, the overall health and well-being of the aquatic life itself, and it's not just climate change; it's also agribusiness and the impact of soil erosion, of nitrates. Uh, it's uh, it's 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 getting to be a problem. But certainly, the heating of the oceans is a big part of the issue. And you would think that maybe President Trump might be concerned about this, but no, he's got something else on his mind when it comes to water, toilets. And I'm sure by now most people have heard about the remarkable uh, response that uh, President Trump had when he was talking about he was bashing um, low low energy use light bulbs, of course, mm-hmm. because they make him look orange. Maybe because and he actually said that they make me look more orange. <laughs> I don't know whatever light he put on himself. If he looks in the mirror, he looks orange. I think it's a, I think it's a, he needs a new tanning booth. Oh, man. Yeah. So, but then again, uh, then he comes after these. Uh, these uh, low, fl- I mean, since what, 1992? 94. Un- I thought it was 92. 94. Yeah. And under the Bush administration, mm-hmm. we were, uh, manufacturers were, were required to produce toilets that, um, oh, I know, it was passed in 92. Okay. It took effect in 94. Yeah. Uh, they were required to um, to uh, build toilet only toilets that would, that would only use 1.6 gallons of water. Right, because uh, the... No- the- <clears throat> toilet that was normal at the time in the early 1990s would use up to four gallons of water per flush. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is – it is true that initially uh, the the design was poor of these low-flow toilets and people did have trouble with solid waste. I mean, obviously with urine, it's not a big right. deal how much right. you flush with. Um, you know, and, and the way that the toilet works is, is that you're trying to create sort of a whirlpool effect, a cyclonic effect – you know, when the water swirls around in, your, in the bowl, to then, as part of that falling, you know, water seeking its own level, um, would pull the solid waste with it. So, thank you for saying solid waste on FCC. <laughs> That's correct. So, you know, it's really interesting because it, this is this <clears throat> this episode personified so much of what I just said, which is that the president is unthinking and illiterate. Okay, so number one, he's talking about something that happened in the 1990s. The technology of the toilet has clearly improved since the 1990s. He once again wants us to go back to an industry like oil and gas and some of the other ones that were dominant in the past. Right, but what, what's the, I mean, what, who's the beneficiary? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because he's just off on this tangent. But what I love about this is you now have an entire industry which is built around low-flow toilets. Yeah. So – in your ingenious economic thinking, we should rebuild the old industry and start putting four-gallon toilets into people's houses again, right? So but, this but, is but, the same administration that wants to federalize the EPA mileage standard on cars to give predictability. Well, to get back in California. Well, but, <laughs> Come on. but the point is their argument is it would give predictability to these companies, right? right? So an entire industry would have to retool. To make toilets that would flush. Okay, so I, I I understand why the president is coming after life. I understand the corporate interest in having the president come after anything life that smacks of regulation. Yeah, but, but he's who, but, against. But who's interested in this? I mean, what? what Nobody. If, exactly. So why? He just he, he just because he's he living in his planet. Own, he lives he in hates his own. the earth. He lives. <laughs> he hates anything that it seems like regulation. Anything that liberals might like. Hmm. He's against. Even manufacturers like this because that, that's what they've been manufacturing since 1994. Exactly. So who, he would, yeah. He, it, this is this is why the man cannot think his way past, you know, maybe first order or second order yeah. thinking. Right. He would disrupt an entire. His government is going to look at this. Right. This is the same government that had to spend money to look at the feasibility of a moat instead of a wall on the southern border. 
They actually spend money researching that. Right. How many crocodiles would it take to fill that moat? How many snakes, exactly. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it, the, the thing is just lunacy. It's, be, it's no, just that, he that, hates but, anything but, that's, but that would, that's that would, about that, environment. But that would involve restoring wildlife habitat. That's probably true. Because yeah, right. it is well known that alligators love to live in the desert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as long as they have the water, they're happy. You know, okay, so people are, people are I mean, the, the, the Twitter universe has been just... Fun as all heck to watch on this. Uh, yeah. People saying flushing toilets ten to t- ten to fifteen times a day. What exactly is President Trump eating? <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, and some of them are are, tra- are tweets that I cannot read on on an FCC regulated station, but. Um, yeah, someone writes, someone writes, or actually Dan Rather writes, President Trump announcing he wants to rethink toilet regulations might be the moment when a metaphor for where we are as a nation crosses over into the literal, mm. you know? But um, Well, and, and of course, the best part of that little rambling he got on was uh, when he said, well, maybe they'll differentiate between places where they don't have a lot of water and places where they do have a lot of water because, you know, there's water that comes out of the sky. It's called rain. He actually said this. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's, uh... so, so we would have, while we're going to make all the cars in the country have the same average mileage, we're going to have two, two different toilets around, two industries for different toilets around the country. Desert toilets. Desert, and, desert and, toilets. And, and, uh, and places toilets. where there is, something called, there is something called rain. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> it was it was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. So um, so I can't find the tweet right now, but some somebody else tweeted that uh, this just gives gives uh, our foreign detractors just one more you know one more reason to um, laugh so, at us. You know, and right. uh, I, I guess that's happening. But we're laughing at ourselves pretty hard right now. Again, I, I don't know where he hopes to go with this. I, I suspect we won't hear this, of this again. Because it, it really was well, embarrassing. Little, that, that almost be a little disappointing, wouldn't it? It would be. I, I wish I'd watch Fox News after he said it, because I'm sure on Fox News they gave him some cover. Yeah. You know, president attacking, you know, uh, liberal toilets, uh, whatever, you know. <laughs> well, and, and, and of course the bottom line is a lot of what he claims that when you flush it 10 or 15 times, it uses even more water than if Well, that would be true. If you, if you flush it three right. times, you're using more water than, than you used to use in one flush right. in the but old toilet. How many people are doing that other than Donald Trump? You know? So, yeah. I mean, the, the research on it is this is a good deal in terms of the environment. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears. Sure. Talk about scooters. Oh, okay. So, you know, we here in, in, in Des Moines are, are considering bringing the scooter enterprise uh, into our downtown. And um, anybody who's been in California or some other cities, you know, cities elsewhere knows that it's a dangerous thing to be walking on the, the sidewalk at times. How fast do these scooters go? I don't know. Maybe it looks like 10, maybe 10 miles an hour. So almost better. Faster than, not as fast as a bicycle could go. Right. But maybe they should be in the bike lane. Not well, the that's, that's been the argument. That's been the argument. They should be in the bike lane. They're called so, a sidewalk for correct, a reason. Correct. Correct. And that's one of the problems. The other problem is it turns out that they're not as ecologically um, appropriate <clears throat> as we thought. Uh, it it is true that uh, they, in theory, could go the same distance as a car and use less energy. Except there's a one problem. There's two problems. One, these are built to last two years. That's all. Yeah, that's the average life that they thought they would get out of these. Uh, most of them last about two months. So really, right? Is that by design? No, it's just by the way they're abused by the people who ride them. Oh. <laughs> um, and so they last about two months, which means that you have to include the environmental costs of really having, you know, uh, 12 scooters for the two years instead of one. So that's one problem. The other problem is is that people drive around and pick these up at night to charge them. And so the cost of this driving around and having to put them back out and redistribute them actually is another environmental cost. So basically – um, as things are now structured, they are probably not better than riding, driving your car around, and they're clearly not better than buses that have high ridership, walking, bicycling. Well, yeah, I mean, to what extent are they going to discourage uh, people from doing healthy things like walking, like biking? Right, and that's a cost you can't figure down the road, but that, yeah. it's, of course, and, and, and you make a good point. They should be treated like bicycles. So who wants to bring them to Des Moines? Um, that I don't know specifically, but I know that there was an article in the paper saying that the Des Moines City Council was looking at putting some regulations in place because they're yeah. about to move into the area. And they're considered a, 
uh, I mean, there's got to be some economic interest. It always comes down to economics. Somebody is going to make money if these come to Des Moines. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't probably, see why probably anybody would buy them not, if they didn't think they were going to make money. Probably a company not located in Des Moines. I, I would presume that's true. Yeah. Because most the two companies that are predominantly uh, pushing this, one's Lime, I can't remember the other one, uh, they're not Iowa companies. Because right. we don't see a lot of scooters around here. Not yet. No, but, but you may sound, well. It sounds like we should be beware of the scooter invasion. Right. Yeah. You know, so, and, you know, the question is who takes care of your medical costs if you get hit by one of them? Well, you, of course. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. So this is actually no insurance this is good, like this is good, car. good business for you, Charles. <laughs> so you should be, you should be, well, I, I don't know. I mean, a, a scooter's, no. you're a cancer surgeon, so right. probably not a lot of uh, cancer-related injuries from a scooter use. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I think, I think whenever you look at these kinds of things, what seems obvious is not always obvious. You know, and the fact that we would assume, that, wow, this looks really like an ecological windfall, turns out to be at best neutral. Yeah, uh, and again, for some of the reasons you stated earlier about having to haul these things at the mm-hmm. end of the day back to their, I mean, I would think that like a B, like the B cycle program where you can you, you you put your credit card in a, in a kiosk and right, you, even you, if you, you just char- even if you just charge them in place, that's that's a great idea. If there was a place to put them in, like the bikes, yeah, why not? Do and that? have that be the charger. Well, that would increase the cost of doing business, but that would be a way of uh, dealing with some of the objections to them. Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that I would think that would be something the city council would want to push them on. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that would be a good idea. All right. Well, here we are, solving the world's problems. Trying to. One step at a time. <laughs> That's All right. right. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us, Charles. Um, for folks listening on our community on station, stick around. We're going to be talking about the Iowa caucuses. And if you're watching on Facebook, uh, we'll be uh, live streaming that segment as well. We'll also have the caucus discussion as part of our podcast, and it will be uh, it'll be a, it'll, it'll be um, a version of that will be available probably in my my blog this week. So again, thanks for tuning in today. Quick shout out to uh, the folks here at Lorena who helped make this uh, program possible: uh, Juan Rodriguez, Lenny Montalvo. Uh, again, we're broadcasting live on Lorena, 12:60 a.m. and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Ashley Martinez, and Kathy Burns. Again, appreciate you tuning in, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host here. And uh, we'll talk to you next week at 11 o'clock, and then uh, we'll be getting into the holidays. We'll keep broadcasting even up to the holidays. We'll have plenty more to talk about, I'm sure. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here as we discuss the Iowa caucuses. We're looking at a particular angle today because we know, normally we focus on the candidates, uh, what they're saying, what kind of questions we're asking them, where are they at on climate change, of course. That's the overriding concern these days. But uh, right today I want to talk about uh, a big event being planned by a coalition now numbering 30 organizations. That's pretty impressive. When you get 30 organizations to come together and agree to do something, that's, uh, that's significant. And the um, significant thing that these orgs are planning to do is to hold a climate crisis parade two days before the Iowa caucuses. This will be on February 1st. That's, uh, again, the caucuses are Monday, February 3rd. That's a Saturday. Now, from Friday through Tuesday, Friday, January 31st, through Tuesday, February 4th, Des Moines is basically the busiest place in the world in terms of media. Uh, It is hard to imagine. I mean, we're a reasonably small city. Uh, I mean, for Iowa, we consider ourselves pretty big and impressive, you know, but um, we're pretty small potatoes. Uh, And yet the amount of media here from not just all over the country, but all over the world is uh, astounding. It is hard not to run into reporters. Uh, parking on streets becomes uh, a diffi- dif- uh, difficult. Uh, prices for hotel rooms go through the roof. And um, this year should be more, uh, there should be more activity this year than I think any year previously. And partly that's because we have so many candidates running and because the race is so wide open. And also because of Donald Trump. There's so much interest in who is going to face off against him in the general election. And so the amount of media expected here will be incredible and the opportunity for Iowans to 
have uh, a message heard before the media is is uh, is unparalleled. We don't we're, we're normally we're flyover country, and we don't mind being flyover country. Just just keep going. It's okay. But um, this is an important opportunity and really an obligation. And so uh, we're all over it again. Thirty organizations have uh, indicated that they are they're a part of this um, this climate crisis parade. So what will happen is on February first at noon, uh, we're expecting. A good thousand people to show up and again i know some of you cities out there a thousand people not even worth mentioning in iowa if you can get a thousand people together for anything that's not a sporting event uh, that's pretty cool um so we're expecting a thousand people to show up and this would be uh, at uh, coles common which is kind of the central plaza in des moines and uh, after kind of assembling and you know rallying a little bit uh, maybe some music depending on the weather, uh, then folks will march to the Iowa Events Center. Now, the Iowa Events Center is where the uh, media will be conglomerating, uh, again, starting on Friday, and will be uh, this event will be on Saturday. And um, the, uh, the intent is to raise, uh, raise awareness of the climate crisis and to point out that the media have, by and large, been horribly inadequate at reporting what is unarguably the biggest news story that our species has ever dealt with. I know you thought it was impeachment. Yes, I know. Yeah, but you know what? Impeachment happens once every couple decades. Um, there was Nixon. There's Bill Clinton. Before that, there was Andrew Johnson. You know, Trump won't be the last person to be impeached unless we fail to adapt to climate change and to reduce our fossil fuel uh, usage to the point where it's not uh, driving up um, greenhouse gas emissions. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, again, impeachment happens often. Climate change, yeah, once in the planet's history. I'm, no, let me, let me take that back. Climate change happens. I get that. It doesn't happen with this rapidity, and it's never been, well, we can't say for sure, of course, but it's a really good guess that climate change has never been caused to this extent by any species inhabiting this planet. So yeah, this is a pretty big news story. Uh, it's the news story of the past four billion years. Um, so let's get with it, folks, and um, tell the media that it's time for them to start paying attention, time for them to start talking about this like the existential crisis it is. And that's the focus behind this event, is to mobilize people to, uh, to point out the very risk of extinction the actual extinction that's already happening to so many species because of what we're doing and the likely extinction that will continue to ramp up as the climate crisis escalates. So there are multiple layers to this action, and we'll talk more about those as the uh, organizing continues to unfold. But for now, the two big uh, events are the, uh, or the two big components of the event are the initial rally, again at noon, and then at some point shortly after that, within the next hour or so, folks will be marching in parade format to the Iowa Event Center to confront the media about their negligence. Now, again, not all media are negligent. Uh, I will say The Guardian does a great job at reporting on climate change consistently and, and in detail. But let me ask you this. COPE 25 is happening. Uh, yeah, supposed to be in Santiago, Chile. Now it's in Madrid, Spain. It's all good. It's happening, and a lot. It, it's it's the it's the major climate uh, negotiation underway right now. It's huge, and yeah, how many how many how many mainstream media outlets are even talking about it? You wouldn't even know it was happening unless you went out of your way to read alternative news sources, and they're out there. But you got to dig for them. You got to know where to look. You got to take the time to read them, and yeah, it's not as glamorous and sexy as uh, a mass shooting, uh, uh, you know, uh, an avalanche, um, a, a huge uh, a fire, all these things that are are, are disturbing uh, and important. But you know, it, it, they're, they're none of the nothing else is an existential threat except for one thing. I would say there I would say there are two existential threats right now and maybe somebody with more scientific acumen can correct me and add a third or a fourth but the other existential threat in my in my view is nuclear weapons that one's been around for a while and it is a very very real threat and one that we need to deal with 
The difference between nuclear war and climate change is nuclear war could happen. Climate change is happening, and it's happening at an escalating rate. And the truth is, if we really begin to craft the solutions needed to both uh, bring down the level of greenhouse gas emissions to the point where they're not creating this climate crisis, and if we figure out what we have to do to live in the new climate era, to to you know, mitigate the, uh, the effects on our lives, on, on our society, on our planet. The truth is, if we do all that, we're going to start tackling issues like nuclear war, like militarization, uh, like, uh, like, like, all, like, like income inequality, which is at the root of a lot of these other problems. We're going to start tackling a lot of those things. And again, one thing about the climate crisis parade, it's not just about the extinction of species. It'll be about all the different elements of our society, of our world, that are being impacted by the escalating climate crisis. I just mentioned a few. And you know, it's the frontline communities, it's indigenous communities, uh, minority communities, uh, low-lying communities, or places where, in Bolivia, where you've got melting glaciers and you suddenly have no access to clean water. It's these frontline communities that are primarily where brown and black people uh, and folks uh, and poor people and rural people live. It's primarily these places where people are being affected uh, most dramatically and most immediately. Again, nobody is beyond the, the scope of what's going to happen as this moves forward. So and here in Iowa, it's um, you know a lot of the frontline victims here in Iowa are, are white farmers, <laughs> rural farmers who uh, who have seen the Missouri and the Mississippi rivers crest and uh, stay out of their banks longer than ever before. In, in fact, many of the levees that were breached earlier this spring are, are not, they have not been fixed and they will, will not be fixed for a long time. In fact, some of the fields that were flooded are still understanding water. So while the primary, well, the primary communities that are what we call frontline communities in the climate crisis tend to be communities of color, poor communities. It's not always the case. And here in Iowa, that uh, that face looks um, very much like uh, the you know the the folks who have tended to deny that climate change is happening. Well, we can't do that anymore, and we we've got to get the media to stop. I, I know most all right, most media. Most reporters, most edit editors, most uh, publishers will say, yeah, sure, climate change is happening. It's an, and they'll agree that it's an existential threat. And yet they'll continue to go on as if it's just another, another news story that they might get to once in a while. That's what has to change. This has to become so urgent in their minds, in their eyes, that it is something that they talk about all the time. If this was a world war, they would be talking about it all the time. If this was impeachment, they oh yeah they they already are talking about that all the time you know I, and I don't get it honestly I even with even with most Americans becoming less and less interested in the impeachment conversation that seems to be the story that dominates the news go figure so anyway <laughs> you know all over the country people are doing amazing things to try to build climate resilience to try to uh, challenge the public challenge the media challenge our elected officials to do what needs to be done in the face of climate change. And our, our big opportunity here in Iowa is February 1st. Again, once the caucuses are done, y'all are going to leave us, and that's okay. Uh, you, we, we, we don't mind being flyover country. It's okay. But we have this opportunity, and we're going to take advantage of it, and we hope others will join us. We hope you won't burn a lot of carbon getting here. But if you, uh, if you, if you, if you want to come and join us, February 1st, Coles Commons, downtown Des Moines, 12 noon, for the Climate Crisis Parade. Now, to give you an idea of some of the organizations that have uh, signed on uh, to be a part of this effort, again, 30 as of today, and that number will probably continue to grow, uh, 100 Grannies for a Livable Future. Uh, that group is out of Iowa City, and one of their members, uh, Miriam Kashia, uh, walked across the country with me at age 71 every step of the way back in 2014 on the Great March for Climate Action. 
also part of the coalition, the Ames Climate Action Team. I know they've been working with with the uh, climate mobilization. Uh, again, an organization that's doing amazing work at calling out the truth of the climate crisis and really pushing for a full-scale mobilization in response. Bold Iowa is also part of the uh, part of the uh, one of the one of the organizations. So is the Catholic Peace Ministry and the uh, Central District of United Methodist Women. Uh, three citizens climate lobby groups in Des Moines, Iowa City, Mason City are on board, as is Climate March and the Des Moines chapter of the Climate Reality Project. Uh, Creative Visions, which is uh, founded by State Representative Akeo Abdul-Samad, is on board. So is the Des Moines Citizens Task Force for uh, Sustainability and the Des Moines Valley Friends Quaker Meeting. Environment Iowa, also Homes for My Peeps, Indigenous Iowa, the Interfaith Green Coalition, the Iowa Climate Strike, Iowa Interfaith Power and Light, uh, LULAC, the Methodist Federation for Social Action, Moms Clean Air Force, the NAACP of Des Moines, Physicians for Social Responsibility, both Iowa and the National Organization, Seeding Sovereignty, uh, Student Climate Strike from Iowa City, University of Iowa Environmental Coalition, Urban Ambassadors, and finally, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. This will be a great, a great event, folks. I hope you'll learn more about it. Hope you'll participate. This is Ed Fallon saying have a great week from Des Moines, Iowa, and the Fallon Forum.